Hello. Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. And this season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar Magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. For this week's interview, we got to hang out with Mark Foster of Foster the People and talk all about the creative process as well as a bunch of unintentional surprises because, hey, it's quarantines. I hope you enjoy this week's interview. I love having conversations with other creative people about creativity because everybody has something like a, either like a, a, a tip or their own kind of, you know, weird practice that they share. Yes. Because it's one of those things that like when you get stuck, it's horrific. <laughs> yes. Like, it, it can be like terrifying. Oh. And so like, you know, and that's the, I guess, I guess that's like the reason that I'm probably uh, obsessed with the subject because there's been so many times where I've had like writer's block or have gotten like stuck or trapped or whatever and had to figure out how to dig my way out of like an intangible psychological creative warp, like black hole. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to Why Not Both, Mark, where we talk about the terrible <laughs> zone of creative blocks. <laughs> I love it. It's a terrifying podcast. It's going to be like therapy. Right? <laughs> uh, that's really funny that you say that because uh, low-key I started this because my other day job is I'm a therapist. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Well, we can have another hour-long session after we're done with this interview. Excellent. I was just like, oh, it's like the first minute of the podcast, Jesus. This would be the greatest way to find my next therapist. Like, oh, I don't know. It started off as a music interview and I just really liked her vibe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the same thing, she does Zoom. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. <laughs> we got it new client referrals right here <laughs> oh my god that is so funny no what you said about the nature of creativity I talk to a lot of people on the podcast and just in general about that because I'm fascinated by it too yeah I mean it's it's been an interesting like journey I I years ago and I've been good about kind of staying in tune with myself now but at the time I was pushing myself to write I was writing songs, obsessively writing songs like every day. Oh, wow. And trying to, not fi- not finishing songs every day, but at least like putting in like hours every day. Right, for, getting for, something down. For a period of time. And, and, and I kind of went past the point to where I knew I should take a break. And Ooh. I just kind of continued to do it. And, um, and then one day... <laughs> one day, okay. <laughs> one day I went in and realized I don't know how to make music anymore, and Aww. it was like it was like a broke. It was like breaking that. I like broke a weird creative bone, and for like a year and a half. This is this is like right before I started Foster the People. So I mean, this is years ago. Oh wow! Um, but it was a lesson that I learned that I've like I put in my pocket and I'll carry with me forever. Because for about a year and a half, two years, 
in that period of time, I only wrote like three songs. Wow. Um, because and it and it was a very it was like the first time that I realized that like writer's block was a real thing and it and so that that caused me to go into a complete journey of like looking within and looking with like outwardly to other creative people to talk about like what they do when they get writer's block and like kind of just started to like like what is writer like is this a real thing and yeah um or is this just psychological because so many people say just sit down and push through it and and I think that that's kind of something that I you know when I came out of that there were there were multiple things that I that I learned I think about a that during that time of writing that it's so important to fill up the well that it like I wasn't living enough life I was only living in the studio and there's only so much you can pull you can pull from past experiences before you have yeah. to fill up fill up the well with new ones. Yeah, that's, I was actually curious to, to ask you about what else that you were doing, one, during the time that you were writing, and then two, during the time after, because yeah, if you're writing every day for hours and hours, that's exactly what I was wondering. Like when you hit that wall, I was just like, oh, it sounds like your cup was kind of drained because you've got to go out and, and live a little bit or at least observe other people living. Otherwise, you're kind of like in, in just, you know, it's great to be in your, in your head and in your imagination, but there's no experiences that are informing that. Mm. Yeah, that was a big part of it. I mean, I was doing nothing else at that, in that period of time. I was like <laughs> fully like a hermit, like studio rat. Yep. And, yep. Um, and so that was, I think that, you know, that was definitely that a part of it. And, but it was like really, it was really scary to be like, oh, this can break. And, and, and as I started to kind of look inwardly, you know, I started to get a visual picture of my creativity. I really like to think of like creativity as like a, a small child, that it's like my like four-year-old self. Uh -huh. um, you know, and like four-year-olds are kind of like, they're, they're, I mean, they're totally in the moment, totally innocent, and like, but can also be like shitheads and like, <laughs> you know, just like destroy like walls of a place. Like they, there's no boundaries. Um, right. Right. And, and so, and so what I've kind of learned to have this kind of uh, coexistence with this create, with this, this creative kid that lives in a little house inside my heart. And if I create a safe place in order for it, to feel like it can play and not be judged and not be criticized, mm -hmm. it'll come out to play. And so for me now, like when I come into my studio and it's so important for me to make my space, like, and if, if I move into a new studio, it usually takes me three or four months at least for it, for oh, settle in. Good, good ideas to start coming out because the, the energy has to feel right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I've lived in LA it's too long. Like I grew up in Cleveland <laughs> and I'm talking about the energy to like being right. It's okay. Um, I'm a space. native. This is totally <laughs> <laughs> like this is safe. This is a safe place. It's Let's a turn our thing. stage together and continue exactly. this conversation. <laughs> I've got some Palo Santo on hand. We're all good. Oh, beautiful. God, I have some next to me too. I love Palo Santo. Um, and so it's uh yeah. So I'll, I, it's important for me to be able to like close the door and lock it or I don't really have to lock it in my house now, but like, just to know that it's like, this space is my, is, is a safe space for that little kid to come out. 
Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, and then I, and then I basically sit down and kind of set the table, like by starting to play music, I'll start to try things, but I don't force anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I found that if I like, if I push it too hard for too long, which is what I was doing years ago, which is why yeah. I stopped wanting to come out to play. You yeah. know, it's like if, 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 if play starts to feel like work, a four-year-old doesn't want to play anymore. You know, oh my God, and- that's, that's so accurate. I'm like, I remember being that age and like, I loved playing the piano, but then when someone was telling me like how to play the piano, I'd be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, no, I just want to play what I heard. Like, uh-uh, go away. <laughs> You're like, they're like, well, that that's like, you know, uh, a C minor scale. And if you play this triad, this is how you augment it. You're like, I don't care anymore. Exactly. Um, You're like, I'm I just like how it sounded. I just like how, yeah, exactly. Like a piano teacher wouldn't take me actually until I was five because my hands were so small. Um, and they didn't want me to learn like incorrect fingering patterns on the piano. But of course I did because I just started playing anyway. I love that you create boundaries for your inner four-year-old so that your inner four-year-old is like, sweet, I'm going to come out. And it's, yeah, and it's really interesting, you know, because it's, it's, uh, I, it's, it's the mix between like a, like a, a four-year-old child and a cat. Like I, I, I also look at it like a cat. <laughs> Cats are assholes. I love them. They're, they're assholes, but if, why does it feel so good when they trust you and sit on your lap? Exactly. You know, because you, because you know, you earned it. Exactly. And it's like, and, and if you grab a cat when it's on your lap, you're like, if you're like smothering it with love, like I've waited for this for years and you grab it, it's going to run away and not come back for like a month. <laughs> exactly. It's going to stare at you from across the room and maybe like meow yell for snacks and that's about it. <laughs> and like that's, that's also kind of, I think how this, like this little kid inside of me works where it's like, if, if I, if I, if I sit down, turn on the studio start kind of creating a vibe that's kind of like that's kind of like jingling the cat food (laughs) 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 i hope it like make i hope it runs into the room and and sits on my lap but if it sits on my lap like i acknowledge that it's here like i'm like okay i can feel the vibration like something good's coming out now like right something's channeling but if i try to grab it or if it feels like I'm trying to put it into a box or I'm trying to like capitalize on its talent. Like here, we're going to write, like we're going to write this really cool, like chorus, like this hook now that like people are going to love, you know, if, if, if it's like privy to any of that kind of stuff, it'll, it can leave the room and it might not come back for a week. And so it's like, it's like acknowledging the existence of it and being like, and respecting the fact that the spirit's in the room and then, and then kind of like creating with it for as long as it stays. And then when it's gone, it's gone. And I, and, and that's cool. It doesn't mean I stopped creating. It means I have to put on a different hat and like the different hats that, that I put on now is like, it's, it'll be like more of a craft, like more of a, working class hat where it's like okay the genius like the spark was vomited out into this thing and now I now I have to structure this somehow right and like I can I can still you know so it's 
but that took years to like explore and kind of get into like a good rhythm. And I still, it's still not something that I'll ever fully understand, you know, and, and I don't want to fully understand it. If I fully understood it, I'd probably stop making music. I mean, like that's, that's part of the thing that draws me to this like art form or to art in general is that it's, it's constantly, it's full of surprises and depth, you know, I love that. I I love the idea that it's simultaneously a four-year-old child and a cat because I'm like, those are both just so wildly appropriate for the nature of creativity. <laughs> and it sounds like you were in essence after the end of that like really hermetic period, you'd, you'd kind of freaked out your cat and your four-year-old kid. And they were both just like, no, I'm having none of this. Oh no. They were like, they were on like a, a they were like, they, they went into like a coming of age movie. Like, like the cat and the four-year-olds, like Milo and Otis, like walking across the <laughs> doing, <laughs> doing like a weird Lois and Clark expedition without me. Yes, yeah, seriously. Um, it was just like they went on their own like private rumspringa and you were not invited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and I was I was curious, like, what did you do during that time? Like when because it sounds like you just pushed yourself too hard. I think that there's a lot in at least American culture about the discipline of writing and the discipline of being an artist. And in some ways it sounds like you over-disciplined and had to like course correct. Yeah. I got really depressed. Um, it, it was a, it came at like a, it was interesting. It happened. That period of time happened like two years before I started foster the people. Mm-hmm. I was a barista at Alcove cafe in Los Feliz what um, yeah sorry yeah. i say that because i'm just like yeah but alcove is yeah. great also you're a barista there which also means that i'm a <laughs> copy from you which is hilarious and weird oh yeah oh totally oh my god sure. i'm sure i've made you a cappuccino did you um, did you ever uh did you ever go to the little table in the back that has all the notes oh yeah yeah oh yeah it's so special isn't it like reading through those notes yeah I, I love i love that table so oh cool. God. I miss that a little table. chess table. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That was like, that was one of my favorite things to do. Um, in whatever era of my life that was that didn't involve just only staying inside. Um, I would love to get, yeah, I'd love to get coffee there. And then I, I would just read through all the notes and then I'd put them back in exactly the way that I'd found them, by the way, like just to make sure that it was preserved for the next person who discovered the chess table. That's special. Uh, That's a really, that's cool. There's, yeah. So, you know, it was a really, I, man. So those next two years, I basically had, I'd, I, it sent me into kind of an existential crisis, to be honest, because my, a lot of my identity at that point had been, I think, tied up in, this, you know, I moved to LA with like a singular goal of pursuing music and mm-hmm. t- and kind of taking this chance mm-hmm. and not not going to college and not having a plan B. And um, at that point, I was when I went through that, I was like twenty. It was like basically twenty four and twenty five mm-hmm. those years, um, and I had played for multiple record labels that, you know, been flown out to New York to like, you know, showcase for, you know, Sony and Island Def Jam and, 
And then like the following year, I remember, oh my God, I'll never forget this. Like I uh, got a call. It was my manager, my music manager called the restaurant because I was working called mm-hmm. Alcove. And, and, um, and, and was like, you need to, you know, like Dr. Dre wants to see you. Right, right now. I just like, want to my music manager called Alco to tell me that Dr. Dre wants to see you. And I had to go to the GM who I didn't have like a great relationship with because <laughs> I was, I was like, you know, uh, a musician that was, you know, I was like kind of a shitty employee, like kind of like always five minutes late, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. And, and I had to go and be like, uh, I'm, I'm like really, I really don't know how to say this and I'm, I, and I'm really sorry and I can find somebody else to like, see if I can cover my shift. But like, is it okay if I leave work right now? Like I, I you know, Dr. Dre really wants to like hear me play and it's <laughs> like a big opportunity, like, you know, like try and And he like looked at me and he smiled and he's like, Mark, he's like, I got you. Just please like go, 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 go play, go play music, go, go play for Dre. That's and, adorable. <laughs> and, and so I got into my like my 93 Camry that my mom gave me that was like had completely just gotten beaten down was like so weathered like yes. the windows the windows were like duct taped uh, like the passenger window is duct taped to the, the roof because it was had been broken for like a year or two of course of course um, no air conditioning like just you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a struggling artist Yep, and I drove and I drove up to the studio and played for Dre, and it was you know uh, amazing and kind of led to playing for Jimmy Iovine. And um, long story short, I the deal didn't end up happening. Um, I you know they wanted to make a soul record. I was doing kind of kind of weird, kind of glitched out. You know, I guess now what we call indie pop. Um, and kind of like, uh, I, it just, we, I, and so we clashed in our vision. They pulled the record deal. I walked away again, kind of being like rejected. Mm-hmm. And, and anytime something like that happened, I, like it, it would take, like emotionally, it was really hard to like pick myself up and like, have the gusto to like go again because you know and at that point after that happened I really went into like just like a lot of soul searching because I was like I was in a really dangerous spot as an artist because the music the music industry knew who I was right and they liked it but nobody wanted to take a chance and and I knew that I could kind of fall into that weird washing machine cycle of being like oh yeah, yeah. mark foster yeah yeah we like him no great great talent you know great guy right, right. Great talent. and then nothing but, but like but but not but but i'm but i'm serving coffee yeah at a coffee shop so yeah yeah so my plan was it's a basically as i was like i i ended up breaking up with with my manager who was like a very close friend and it was very hard and was like, you know what? I, I, I've been in LA now for like seven years chasing this thing. And, um, 
I mean, I want to go see the world. I want to go do things. And that kind of that, the attitude switch inside was basically led to, I need to build this myself. I can't wait for a record label or somebody else to give a green light. I need to build this from the ground up. And that was kind of like, that led to, that led to a total attitude change and then starting the bands and then we're here now, but like, but those two years of the writer's block and then and then kind of like following like multiple passes, you know, um, right. really, yeah, it was like, it was the fire held to the feet that like caused me to do things that I should have been doing the whole time, which was playing live shows on stage with a band, which I was like terrified to do. I didn't want to play live shows. And that was like, I realized that that was the thing that you had to do like you had you can't be nobody wants to get shocked something that like nobody people want to feel like they discovered something themselves right you know? right 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 that's, um, and that's fascinating you said that um when you were talking you said that it was the stuff that you should have been doing all along and i found that so interesting that it's almost like you had been almost seeking permission from other people to do that. And I think that a lot of people have that perception about the music industry that it's like, you have to have other people on your team that are then supporting you in like a record deal or things like that to, to do the music that you want to do. And you're like, no, I realized I needed to just like actually do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's so odd that nature of creativity that then, you know, it's, it's like you're the only person that can give yourself permission, but that's like, that sounds like a really cheesy LA Zen cone. Well, it's really, you know, it's funny because I feel like executives, if you go to them cap in hand, they'll be happy to tell you what they want you to do. They love it. Right. You know, it's like, because they're, you know, they're in this powerful position and, and they like to be, they like, you know, anybody in that position, like in a, in a weird way, likes to kind of play God and likes to think of themselves as the next like Merlin, who's going to pick, Right. Who's going to like, you know, Nostradamus going to like figure out who's going to be the next Michael Jackson or, or, you know, Beatles. And, and so if you go to them, they'll, they'll have plenty of things to like tell you like how to jump through the hoops they want you to jump through. But at the end of the day, you're not really, you know, it's all a game of cat and mouse. And if you're not running, they don't want to chase you. And so (laughs) like, I, I it took a long time to realize that they don't want somebody that crosses their T's and dots their I's. They want somebody that's going to be like they 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 want they want to discover something on themselves and feel like they can't have it. And because you know everybody mm-hmm. wants wants something that they can't, that they have. can't have. Yep. And yep. that applies to everything. That applies to, you know that applies to business. That applies to you know relationships. It's like. Yeah. And, and so that's what, that's, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. You know, people are very simple when you, when you I don't know, it's like, <laughs> it, when you break it down, you know, everybody kind of works, works in a similar way. Well, and it's so interesting that you were recognized for your talent, but like you said, you hadn't almost kind of like built it in a way. And it also sounds like, tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you were doing things more solo. And then after that, after you went off and kind of had your own Rome Springer separate from, you know, the Milo and Otis adventure, 
of your creativity. It sounds like then you came together with a band, which sounds like it made a difference. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I, uh, the band really like, there's, there's something about the camaraderie and the energy of sharing a unified vision with other people. Mm-hmm. and kind of moving towards moving towards something and also the fact to have like three other people to focus on a vision and to be able to delegate different things for people to do and use everybody's strengths you know and to mm-hmm. lean on everybody's strengths um was so important uh to 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 build something because being a solo artist i mean it's so, it's really hard because, especially when you're at that position, because you are your own financier, which yep. at that point I was funding it through being a, you know, a barista at Alcove. So, at Alcove. So like, um, you know, any, there's a lot of costs involved with any kind of startup, you know, and right. even, even early days with the band, um, you know, it's like we had to build a webpage, you know, luckily Mark Pontius knew how to like, do web design um but we still had to pay for like a domain name we still had to pay for like a, a sort of sort of service mm-hmm. and then like mm-hmm. and then we and then we you know had some early south by southwest shows that we were going to and it's like okay well that's that's amazing but how do we get to austin and so right. like where we did, do we stay <laughs> yeah where do we stay and so we like chipped in and and rented a 15 passenger van and, you know, we, we, we like made phone calls and, and found like a friend of a friend that let us crash at his house. Um, but it was like, you know, it was those, those types of things early on that people don't really think about that. Right. Um, that are hard and, you know, being a solo artist, no way. it would have been, it's like multiply that by 10 because you're doing multiple jobs yourself. And, and if you, and if you slip on any one of them, it doesn't totally work, you know? It's like, it, yeah. it has to be like a full frontal assault <laughs> to be able to get in, in front of people's ears and eyes and be yeah. like, hey, like this is the thing that's happening that you should pay attention to. Yeah, because when you're, when you're starting out, when you did give yourself permission to actually do it yourself, um, I think, I don't know, a lot of the listeners seem to be musicians, which is cool from the feedback that I get from people who message me. On Instagram, wow, I sound like a robot being like, when people DM me on Instagram. <laughs> All right, come on, come on, come on. Give us, give us your handle. What's the handle? <laughs> Let's plug well, the handle. We're at WNB, the podcast, on both Instagram and on Twitter. Um, but when people, when people chat me up on the interwebs, um, <laughs> they do bring up the fact that when you are a musician, especially starting out in today's climate, in a, in a way, we have this image of the record labels being gatekeepers because they were. And in another way, now they're not. But that means that then artists are their own record labels, which means that also mysteriously you're a promoter, a graphic designer, a web developer, a mixer, a master, and a tour engineer. And like all, all these things that like, you know, you're like, oh, I just, uh, I thought I was just going to write some songs. <laughs> it's like, no, surprise. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> You're like, yeah. oh my God, I have to learn Photoshop now. <laughs> and so it, it spirals into like a, a million other jobs that you have to do in order to, like you said, like get your music out in front of people and build the kind of thing that even a record label would be interested in. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting to see the trends of kind of where that's headed too, with everything changing. Um, you know, the music industry has been in flux and changing and evolving, you know, since the early 2000s when like the CD burner, like yeah. Napster and all that stuff started. And so that, so it's like, you know, now that streaming has, has become, um, really, I think the, like the money has returned to the music industry in a new way to where they, they're flush with cash again. And, you know, A&R guys are <laughs> driving around um, expensive sports cars like they used to. Um, it's, but it's, it's, but now it's now it's like evolving into why do we need record labels anymore? Yep. What services do they provide? And, yeah. and how many artists now realize the value of owning their masters and retaining their ownership and being like, wait, what? Hang on a second. I can go direct to fan with mm -hmm. the, and I don't have to pay anything. Like I, I don't mm -hmm. have to, I can upload something to Spotify and Apple music for pretty much for like for free right. and like put it out in the world within like a week. Or yep. however long it takes for them to process it and it's out it's out there and there's no distribution like real distribution costs there's no hard costs like you know i mean labels are are still transitioning because they still do make money off of like hard sales and cd sales and you know the the targets of the world that and and stuff that still sell cds if, right. if, if, you're, if you're lucky enough to get your cd on their shelf which is right. which is a process within itself but but you don't need that anymore you know, because people are sharing, it's like digital word of mouth is, right. is the name of the game now, you know, and there's so many artists that I'll hear somebody that I'm like, I've never heard of that person. And then I look it up and they've got over a million <laughs> yeah. followers on whatever. And they've got like millions of monthly listeners on Spotify. And I'm like, oh, they're like massive. I mean, you know, the greatest example, you know, before the weekend kind of blew up was like, I love thinking about like the early days of the weekend that like um he, you know he was selling out like four to six thousand capacity rooms all over the country or all over north america and maybe europe i i just don't know mm -hmm. um but i but i know that he was but he was never played on the radio Right. And never had it. And this is before he crossed over commercially. And then, and then eventually when like, when, when Abel decided, you know, he was like, okay, I want to press the button now. Yeah. He yeah. wrote a giant, a giant pop record and exploded. But like before that, it was all word of mouth, you know, and sharing right. di digital word of mouth. And so, and he was selling out, he was making a great living. Um, and so, you know, I mean, there's countless examples of that now still um and, and i think there's going to be more examples um, of that i'm really curious what you think people are going to do in regards to the fact of our current circumstance that's completely changed anything to do with live shows touring any of the stuff you're talking about especially when you're like well i was scared to play live with a band now it's like at least for a few years i don't think anyone's going to be playing live with a band yeah i mean you know 
I, I think everybody's kind of scratching their heads and figuring it out. I mean, I think, you know, the one thing about right now and even before like quarantine happened is that content is truly king and bite-sized content. It, it, the content keeps getting chopped into smaller and smaller pieces, mm -hmm. you know, to where like Quibi and TikTok yep. um, and things like that, like that's how people want to process their information. And so it's like people are flipping through like magazines, digital magazines now, like flip books, like at lightning speed and just like, you know, I watch my little brothers who are still in high school. Well, one of them just graduated last week. Oh, wow. um, but, and the other one's a, a, a junior. Um, I watch the way that they process content and, and how they flip through their phone. And it's like two thumbs on the phone, multiple, like both going at the same time. Yeah. Like just like, <laughs> like literally watching things like, like watch, flipping through videos like one second at a time and they're processing uh -huh. the information uh -huh. so fast um, until they land on something that's interesting to them. Yep. And so, yep. uh, you know, in some ways, I think that the artists and creators of content, I think there's going to be a, a, a beautiful surplus of creativity that comes out of this. Because I, I also think creativity within boundary, like creativity functions really well when you put a couple boundaries on it. Um, yeah. It's like keeping your four-year-old safe when, when kids don't have boundaries, that's usually when they act out because they're scared. Yeah, totally. And so there's, there's, there's going to be a renaissance um, of, of like new ways of thinking about things. Um, as far as like live performance goes, I really don't know, but I do think that VR is probably going to explode. It, it, the longer this goes on, um, I, I imagine that VR is going to be the ne the next kind of, I mean, I've been, I, I've thought that for a few years, like, cause I, I just, the possibilities when they, when they actually figure out how to make content, not, VR. Yeah. Yeah, not look like eight bit graphics. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. and I mean, and they're already doing like, they're already, I've seen some amazing things already. That's like pretty, pretty cool and smooth. But like once, once the engines for that, that, start to become where it's the singularity really starts to happen and like the VR experience really starts to feel like real life. Um, right. I think there's going to be a really, like really interesting things to do uh, in terms of content, in terms of watching a live show and being able to take a live show then or take a, 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 li a pre-recorded live performance and then augmenting mm -hmm. it with some kind of digital experience that's like exciting and interesting and being able to watch a live show from multiple angles, mm -hmm. being, able, being able to make yourself the performer and see what they see or do what they do. Like there's gonna be a lot of different things that, that come out of that, but live music's never gonna be replicated or replaced. Um, just right. like live live theater can't be. There, There's something about the, I think the community of like sitting uh, in a room full of other people and feeling the energy of the crowd, like the crowd is yes. 50% of a live performance. Yes. Like, that's, ex that's exactly, you touched on what I was going to ask about and what I was thinking about when you said that was that part of it is not just the performance itself, but the interaction between the performer and the audience. And that that's, what's missing. Like, uh, like, 
not to diss anybody who's been doing live streaming at this time. I think it's amazing. But some of what I miss when I'm watching live streaming is that like, and that's why I've, I've actually chosen not really to do it is that if I'm performing, I'm interacting with the people that are around me. Um, 100%. I mean, you know, like Julie and I have been watching this, this new Jordan like docuseries at home. And it's like mm -hmm. interesting that like, even like live basketball, like there are games when Michael Jordan like went into it with a certain headspace and the crowd was a certain way and an opposing player on the other team said a certain thing that made him explode for 70 points, right. you know? Right. And like not every game is the same. This is the greatest basketball player in the world, but he doesn't do that every game. Like there are certain games that are better than others. And like the external factors have a lot to do with that, you know? And so there are certain shows like a band, even though we're playing the same songs that we've maybe played hundreds of times or thousands of times, you know, one night's going to be better than the next. And like that has to do with the environment and the crowd and like all of those other like intangibles that lead into that live performance. So and there's something exciting about that. You can feel it. You can feel the tension. When you go to a great live show, you're like, fuck, I don't know why that was so good. It was so but like, good. <laughs> but like, I am so stirred up inside. Like, I want to go home and like write or I want to go be creative myself because that yeah. just inspired me. Um, we're not going to get that through a computer screen. I don't think we ever really will. Sound just feels so different when you're actually in that space yeah and there is there is something about frequencies and like you know the bpm of our our natural like how our hearts are beating you know like like there's a reason why house music works at like between like 120 and 130 yep you know bpm because yep. when your energy's up and you're dancing that's kind of like that's close to around where your heart heart is beating yeah and um you know so there's all this all those things that are really really interesting but um Listen, I, if, if a vaccine isn't found, if this is something that ends up lingering, I think that, and I think that this is probably already getting work done right now. I mean, if I had like any kind of a company where I could work on this now, I would be. So I know that there's probably a hundred other people doing this, developing <laughs> masks or like some kind of outerwear Mm -hmm. That's safe, mm -hmm. safe, safety, like protective clothing that is stylish and cool right. and comfortable to where people are going to like, that could be the next trend in fashion. Like if this is, if this becomes our normal life, right. You know, there's going to be some, somebody's going to come out with some kind of an invention. That's like the safest way to go out in public and be able to interact with people without worrying about catching something. I think that, that would be brilliant because I have seen so many people out and about in LA wearing their masks as mysterious like chin brassiers and I am curious where they're going with that. <laughs> like, <laughs> chin I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> you're like, where did you need an instructional guide? <laughs> you're like, I don't think it works. Like, <laughs> unless it, unless they have like a gaping open wound on their chin. That you just think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Yep. Yep. I'm like, I, 
thought that these were self-explanatory, but here we are. <laughs> I saw a photo. That, uh, I saw a photo two days ago from a friend who who was walking, like it was in New York, and it was literally taken this week of like I don't know, fifty people outside a bar, like drinking and talking, like face to face, super close proximity, yeah. and they and they had like masks that were dropped around their necks. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> God. This is the most New York thing I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> like hey, I don't give, I don't care about no virus. I don't care about hey, no Whatever, fuck it. <laughs> it's kind of like I just imagined like the point, and then people just just cruising by said point. <laughs> They're like, "You were so close." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you almost made it. There was an attempt. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. And I, I liked what you wrote in your essay about how the previous crises that we've kind of encountered, at least within our lifetime, were human caused crises. Um, whereas this is, is not a human caused crisis as much as there are poorly made YouTube documentaries um, that would argue otherwise. I love when people spin conspiracy theories because I'm like, have you ever seen people trying to execute a project even amongst like three or four people? I was like, has anyone project managed? Did, no one could pull off a conspiracy. Like, have you met people? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like you think that thousands of people are all going to be on board to do the same thing? I'm like, what? <laughs> no. Yeah, and, then, and then keep it secret. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. makes no sense. <laughs> people can't even keep it together for like a group presentation. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I liked that point, though, that not that it was speaking to the idea of human evils, but it was almost like human foibles had kind of brought us together before, whereas now we're unified by this experience that really is outside of human control. So it's quite different. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's I mean, there's there's something when this first happened, you know, and when I wrote when I wrote that essay, like. The, the feeling the feeling that I had was like this solidarity with humanity and like a sense of unity that I hadn't felt in a long time because mm. it also it also happened as like the the social systems around the world seem to be bubbling at like coming to a boil right. um you know you had like the the yellow the yellow jacket riots in Paris like you yep. had like the the riots and and protests in Hong Kong yep. you had you know um, the the reaction to Bolsonaro and Brazil and like kind of like his like kind of nationalist a lot of nationalist leaders getting either voted in or forced in to office around the world um, you know our own our own kind of divide in our country right and so um and all of that stuff started to, all of that stuff stopped because because there was like a greater issue at hand that people needed to work together to like to figure out you know and so there, there there's a there's a, a beautiful unity um yes. that came out of kind of this situation and, and you know and i hope that you know i hope that um this these are things that like when this does clear up and it will um that we don't forget 
what it's, you know, the, the things that we're learning right now. And that applies to the environment too. I mean, the environmentalists are going to have incredible data. Yes. Uh, after this is all done to prove what they've been trying to say for decades. Yes. And, um, and, and, and it's going to be impossible to look away from it because, you know, they, they, there's the, just the nature of things. I mean, you've gotten to see, I've seen, I've seen pollution, I've seen maps of kind of like, I've seen early, early reports of data in, in certain parts of the world where the ozone, you know, had holes in it and the holes are, have like repaired themselves yeah. in a very short period of time. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be, that's going to be interesting too. There's going to be, there's, this is a chance for growth. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. And it kind of shows, at least to me, like, kind of when you spoke of the divide, it's almost like now the, the kind of the divide that I've been seeing is like individualism versus collectivism, which, you know, weirdly actually dovetails back to what you were saying about creativity, about if you're trying to do everything on your own, when you said like being a solo artist, you're like, that's kind of in some ways, not that it's untenable, but that it's extremely challenging and that the odds are a bit against you. Whereas like banding together, <laughs> literally with a band, <laughs> um, helped you and thinking about that now it's like if you know it's it's helping in a way it's not just altruism to help people around us with this but it actually helps you like it helps you out to help people around you <laughs> yeah <laughs> thinking about that in terms of like if you think of everyone as your bandmate like everyone does have a different role in this but being being supportive of them means that then other people can be supportive of you well you know and I mean, you know, I could talk about I could talk about this forever. I mean, I, I, the the in, the really interesting thing to me about this virus is that it's presented the world and it's presented our leaders with an incredible moral dilemma, which is, um, do we, what's more important, like opening thing, what's more important, the economy surviving and like, the way that individuals are you know everybody has like an overhead everybody has their monthly needs i mean we're, we're right. humans that need need to eat breathe sleep and like you know um feel safe right and like um with the economy being shut down like those things are there, there are a lot of people I, I i heard this stat and and i might not get it completely right but it was somewhere around these numbers that 60 percent of americans couldn't write a $500 check right now. And like, that is terrifying. Yeah. Um, the middle class, yeah. the middle class, there is no middle class anymore. And this is going to wipe out the, the, the remaining kind of hang, hanger ons of the middle class, I think. Um, and the, and you know, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, I've been changing the way that I think about the divide the last few years. And I've kind of, I, my own personal conclusion is that, in, in our country, it's not red versus blue or right versus left, but it's rich versus poor. And yeah. I think that that, and, yeah. and you know, um, you're going to see that. I, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because both are equally important. And if the economy doesn't open up and if the government doesn't find a way for people to make a living, um, I don't know when it'll happen, but it will happen. People will revolt you know, and it's going to be, and we're going to be in a much more dangerous situation than coronavirus. Right. Um, and so as a leader, 
especially in a democratic system of, of career politicians who make their money by lobbyists and staying in power, they don't want to lose their constituency. And so there's people that are in, you know, mixed states, you know, like Ohio or Wisconsin or like places where, or, or states or red states that are saying, open it up, this thing's a hoax that are having to, you know, they have under an extreme amount of pressure of like, what's the right thing to do here? Do we open it up and roll the dice knowing that people are going to die? Right. But also knowing that millions of people need to get back to work to put food on their table. Right. And uh, there's not, I don't, I don't, I haven't heard a good answer, you know, for that. And so it, it, it it's a quandary, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It definitely, it, it struck me that you had said about the artistic renaissance, and it struck me also that in some ways we could be within also a political renaissance. It, it just reminds me a lot of, you know, the transition of the Dark Ages out into the renaissance. I was just like, oh, yeah, it's like we're living in history. Cool. Didn't want to do that. Only had wanted to read about it, but here we are. Um hmm complete with a plague. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right>? <laughs> like <laughs> it's a bit heavy handed. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's like in order to support society, sometimes you have to completely redefine what it is. Well, pain is the touchstone of growth, you know, and there's no, there's no way that, um, people that are the scientists and engineers and innovators and people that think outside the box are now all doesn't matter what field they're in collectively thinking about this unified goal of, you know, of solving COVID. And so it's, there's going to be a lot of innovation and things that come out of this. There's going to be a lot of beautiful, positive things that come out of this. You know, I, I remember visiting, we, we were on tour in Houston and the band we went to NASA, like to, to their kind of their station down in Houston Ooh. and had got like a tour of it. And we were kind of walking around there showing us one of like the first, uh, I forget which, which like Apollo it was, but they had, they had like the, you know, the ship there mm-hmm. and the, 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 the astronaut was saying like, you know, the power in your iPhone, like the computer you're holding is, is like vastly more powerful than the computer <laughs> that we to go to the moon. <laughs> and uh, I and I remember like and he was talking about the space and he was so excited and he was talking about all this stuff and I asked kind of a dickhead question and I felt bad about it but it was a real question I didn't you know I, but I felt I was like I, I said what because he was talking about how much money it costs and all this stuff and I was like I asked why like why yeah. did you guys want to go to the moon like or why did you do this like why why was the why did you spend you know billions and billions of dollars to like to do this. And he said, well, anytime NASA has tried to do an impossible, something that was deemed impossible, mm-hmm. like, like going to the moon and, and, and we set our sights on that. In the process of trying to get to the moon, all of these new technologies were invented that impacted our life on earth. Oh, wow. And that was something that was so profound to me. You yeah. know, that throughout the, like, you set all those brilliant minds on a unified goal and, um, and the residual, like, effect of that was that, like, 
hundreds of other things were figured out in the process that we then used in our personal day-to-day life and wow. helped the world run more efficiently. And so I have to believe that, you know, coming out of this, that there's going to be incredible innovation. I'm obviously afraid of all of the, uh, the land grab, the digital land grab that, that is going to be taken too, because no, undoubtedly there's going to be, this is also carte blanche for new security, new surveillance, mm-hmm. um, data tracking, like all of those things. I mean, the way that travel changed after nine 11, yep. um, yep. we're, I, I'm really afraid that we're going to see that, uh, you know, uh, multiplied coming out of this. Um, because any 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 time that there's like a a fear, something happens around the world where it's like, hey, look over here, this is really scary. The government's like, we're gonna slap you with all of these things. Like like here's yep. <laughs> ten Patriot Acts that we just signed. <laughs> um, I was like, what's beyond Patriot? Um, okay, it's nationalism. Um, okay. <laughs> 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 yeah. It, what you said about, you know, that channeling one's creativity or the collective NASA creativity towards spaceships ended up, you know, then creating so many other technologies. I think that when you said, like, why would you spend money on this, that it almost ties into, like, um, I guess the relationship between money and creativity. It's like you can't necessarily, it's not a linear relationship where it's like you put in $5 and you get $5 of value back. Mm. You might put in $5 of value and get like $5,000 of value back, or you might get like negative $20,000 of value back. Mm. (laughs) Sometimes you you don't know. And so tying creativity to commerce seems like it could be kind of dodgy at times because you you don't know what you're going to get back out. Oh my Um, God. Oh God. I think about this all the time. You're like speaking my language. Like I, can we talk for another four hours just on this subject? <laughs> we'll have why not both part one? Why not both part two? Why not both electric bugaloo? <laughs> like, I am in. <laughs> I, just, I don't know where electric bugaloo came from, but like that's that's where we're at now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't know either, but it sounded pretty. I liked it. I was like, that's a cool lyric. Um, I, I would say I try, but really I just uh, don't think before saying things sometimes. <laughs> That's the best way. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, commerce and art, two things that are uh, completely, are, are, are beautifully um, dependent on each other and completely independent of each other. But like I, there's, there's a symbiotic relationship, like when those things are in balance, that I think is really important for an artist. Mm. Yeah, like you were talking about kind of even like the, the cost of like starting up as a band and as an artist so people see you. And I think that so many people then are feel invalidated when they have to work another job. Like you were talking about your time at Alcove that you're like, I was really depressed. I'd come here to be an artist. And it's like, you were still an artist. You were an artist who was also making probably really excellent coffee so that then other weirdo artists like me could drink that coffee and, and read notes that are stored in a chess table. But, the, but there was also a symbiotic relationship, between, even, in, even in that, that when I would get home from the coffee shop and I sat down to like write songs or work on music, it, was, uh, it felt like a reward as opposed Ooh. to work. Ooh. And, and so 
I've and I've found that even even recently I've I've in quarantine I I got bit I got bit by a bug that I never thought that I would ever get bit by and that's woodworking. I'm like I've been bit by the woodworking and like power tool. I've been, I'm literally <laughs> have been working like outside like looking at Japanese joinery, reading like all these books on like how how to do things and wow and for me and it's been this amazing new discovery later in life that like because when I'm working outside on a project with my hands with tools and whatever Mm -hmm. it's still Mm -hmm. it's still problem solving and it's still creative but um it's completely it's a completely different part of my brain than when I sit down and songwrite and it's, it's it's tactile I'm forced to be present because I don't want to lose a finger. Um, so I have to be there. I'm not looking at my phone. It's like extremely meditative. Yes. And then, and then when I get inside, you know, like huffing and puffing and sweat, like all that stuff, the physical nature of like, yeah. when I get inside and I sit down in my studio, it's a reward. And wow. it feels like, oh, I get to make music now. Like this is my, this is my escape. And there's been times when making music has felt like a job. And yeah. That, and when 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 that starts to happen, that's like an alarm signal for me that I need to go out and do something that I don't quite enjoy doing. Or I can't, if you're lucky, like like I have to go take out the trash or I have to go clean the kitchen or I have yeah, to like do yeah. my laundry. I have to do something else that like when I get back to music, I'm like, no, 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 I get to do this. This isn't something that I have to do. It's something that I am like privileged to be able to do right now. And like that perception flip in my brain really makes that, that four-year-old want to come out and play. It's like, was, oh. Yes. That's what I was going to reflect on is that I was just like, yeah, that makes your four-year-old want to come out to play instead of telling them how you can augment a C minor chord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I remember being scared that learning music theory would actually destroy my ability to enjoy playing music and it, it kind of did for a little while. And then it didn't, then I, then I was able to shove it to the back of my mind again. Um, but it did exactly what you said where it made it uh, unfun. It became almost like an algebra puzzle instead, which is fun in its own way, but is not fun in the, you know, splatter painting all over the room way. I mean, it's like, it's not fun to learn another language, but like if you're walking into a Parisian cafe and you speak fluent French and, and it comes out of you like naturally as opposed to having to think of what word do I use. Right, right. It's, it's a beautiful thing, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my French teacher who I actually, I petitioned to take AP music theory instead of taking AP French as my language um, in high school because my French teacher for French 3 just literally had us watch movies and she played the hammered dulcimer, which is beautiful. Oh, that's amazing. French. <laughs> so I was like, can I take AP music theory instead? And they were like, yeah, as an elective. I was like, no, no, no. I mean, as my language credit, like I, I want to take it as my language credit for this year. And they were like, what? No oh, one's wow. ever asked that before. And so I think because I just asked such an unusual question, they were like, I guess so. <laughs> oh, I love that you did that. That's so cool. Thanks. It was it was a quite accidental like rogue move where I was just like, okay, I know I'm not going to learn any French in AP French, and I'm going to bomb the AP as much as I love the hammer dulcimer. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it's like, how do I get around this? Um, I was thinking, um, 
I was thinking about like controls and how like, I guess what you were saying, it pinged in my brain that like we need a moderate amount of control and boundaries, but too much control and boundaries curtails us. Mm. Yeah, I mean, artistically, are you saying? I was thinking artistically and when you were talking about the idea of having like the tech surveillance. We are the last Mohicans in a weird (laughs) sense of like, we are the last generation that has lived kind of like the ancient world. Like we, we lived before the digital age really exploded. Like I remember not having a cell phone. I remember not, I remember like not having access, like not being on the internet. Yep. I remember when web pages, like the early web pages were like, had like moving gifts of like (laughs) palm trees dancing in the background and like neon green text. And I'm like, I'm just trying to like do a report on Abraham Lincoln. Like I don't need like (laughs) his biography written in neon green, like type, like size 16 fucking comic sans. I was just going to say comic sans. It was definitely in comic sans. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, and so, so, so in some ways, look for, for us, you know, we are going to be like our grandparents being like, I don't like the microwave, you know, like <laughs> it, these things are scary and they're going to be scary, um, you know, as, 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 as technology like develops and, and, but, you know, but the truth is like, I, I am scared, not because it's technology. I think that's beautiful, but because uh, I don't trust the people that are in control of it. And, mm. you know, and, 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 and when you give somebody that much power, right. All it takes is the wrong person to be in power, to be able to exercise that power. So, you know, which is also the reason why there's a two party system, because it's very easy to make two, two choices. It's like yeah. you either you know, have chocolate or vanilla like you throw some strawberry in the mix and people are like, oh, like, no. oh God, I don't know. But it's like, it's like, you know, it's, a, there's a reason why every Disney movie has very clear good and very clear evil. Yes. You know, so little kids can understand who the villain is. And, and, and that's what our systems are doing to each other. You know, they're trying to, vil- it's, and it's, it's, you know, when it's black and white, it makes it, it very easy to keep everybody, give everybody an identity so no, so everything stays in control. Right, Under- yes. Control. Yeah. And in a way it speaks to what you were talking about, even about creativity itself. Because when you said like, you have like essentially like the muse in the room, that's when all the like wild genius creativity happens. And then afterwards you you can edit and kind of, you know, in a way kind of calm down and, and figure out what happened. Um, but that that genius needs boundaries. And in a way it's like, well, when do you let the chaos reign? (laughs) Like, when do you let people see like, you know, what choices they do or don't have and how strict do those boundaries have to be in order to keep a system functioning and should a system keep functioning? And what would, you know, what would be the breaking point of a system that then like essentially the creativity muse comes to visit? Mm. Uh (laughs) Well, I, well, I can say that, you know, historically, in times like this, artists are incredibly important. And I yeah. think that artists are going to help lead us and be prophetic voices um, through this time, you know, and through, through however long, not just COVID, but everything else that we're talking about um, are, are important voices because artists aren't vying for people's votes. They're right. not trying to, they don't have a corporation or a lobby group that, 
is paying them to, to have a certain view. Um, you know, and essentially there, it's like, they can speak unfiltered and unedited, um, right. you know, and, uh, so it's, you know, it's going to be, it's like, I, I, there is going to be a Renaissance in art. I think we're already in it. And I think as, as, as the pressure starts to get cranked down under pressure, art becomes more beautiful. I mean, you know, the pressure, the pressure is like putting like the, you know, the grapes, is like crushing the grapes and, 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 and the wine that comes out is the art that artists mm -hmm. make, make, you know, from, from those fermented grapes. And so it's going to be, it's going to be exciting on, on, on that hand. And hopefully one day we have an artist as president, you know, because I think like somebody like that, that thinks outside the box and is empathetic to the yep. human condition is something that we're in desperate need of. And, and, uh, you know, the sad thing is, is that what good artist in the right mind wants to be president? That's exactly. I was going to say the people that we like really should have most to lead us are the people that would uh, least enjoy leading us. Yeah, because <laughs> because real leadership is an act of service, not a power uh -huh. grab. You know, oh. and it's like it's a it's 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 completely altruistic. But I don't know the last time we've had a completely altruistic president. You know, and so, or, right. or leader in general, I mean. Yeah, like I would, you know. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I loved Obama, but like, I'm, I'm just saying, like it, it, pe the people that are drawn to that position. Right. Tend to have, you know, narcissistic tendencies that love power. It's exactly. Just, you know, and that's, you know, if artists were in power, like in a way, like as being a female artist, you have to, in a way, sacrifice the fact that you sacrifice your power in some ways. Um, because instead you're perceived as a threat instead of something of value. And in a way, artists would have to then like sacrifice their, their own power and their own value in order to become leaders. Like it really would be something that you're like, oh, that would be in a way altruistic because it would be to your own detriment. It would be to collective good, but it would definitely be to your own personal detriment to then become a leader. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, look, if, I've, I've always said, like, if Tom Hanks, I mean, if Tom Hanks decided to throw his hat in the ring and run, he would win. Right. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody gets to a point in their career where they're like, you know what, I've said what I want to say artistically, and I want to make a difference in another way now, I think that that's what's going to, the person would look like. Um, and, and the beautiful thing is that like, once an artist, always an artist. And like, you know, you, you, you can recognize like when I, I look at an artist, I don't, I don't give them that title based on what they've created. I give that title based on how they think, mm. you know? And so it's like the way that they view the world um, is what's important. So it's like, there could be a, a secret artist that is, you know, comes in the, comes in the guise of, of, of just like a straight cut, straight edge, clean cut politician um, but the way that they, you know, their philosophies are completely artistic. So I like that. I feel like that's like, I was just like, huh, usually I ask us like, Hey, what's your, what's your advice for people? And I'm like, all right, secret artist out there. We're counting on you. We're counting on you. Step <laughs> up, change the system. And, and, and all the kids that just graduated, you know, I am so excited 
for the, the millennial and like post millennial generation to come into to, to come into an age where they are changing the way that the world works because I think that their minds are going to completely reshape the system. And from what I've seen from like the way that they're that the way that they view empathize with life, the way that they um, see each other with non-judgment mm-hmm. um, and, and just, uh, just their, their, just their view on, on, on the world and protecting the planet, all of those things, it's going to be amazing when they actually um, start to take the reins. I think, you know, I think things, I think things will change. I, I, I do have faith. I agree. I, I treasure the times that I get to actually work with teenagers because they're like the teenagers that I, I wished that millennials could be because we still actually did, I think, have some belief that like the current system works, whereas teenagers now are just like, <laughs> no. Um, and I think that yeah. that's great. I think that they're on the right track with that. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, guys, I'm really excited to see what you come up with next because uh, you know that this one's broken, right? <laughs> yeah, rip, rip down the Coliseum. And, and build like a beautiful Frank Gehry building in its place. You know, there you like go. This. There you go. I'm just like, I'll give you, I've got your water so you stay hydrated. I've got your sunblock. Like I'm here. On- <laughs> <laughs> Here's a little shoulder rub. Come on, you can do this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm like, millennials are tired, yo. But like, you, you guys got this. We're here for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Mark, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. It's been so great talking to you, Pam. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who has been absolutely amazing. Thank you again, and I look forward to next week's episode. Thank <laughs> you.